So I don't want to give you a, a, an account by account of my holiday because that would probably bore you. But I, I do want to acknowledge the incredible beauty in uh, South Africa. Beauty in people and beauty in nature, uh, beauty in God's creation that I'm just so unaware of. I mean, I live in Kone and I go from Kone to Monty and that's my sort of frame of reference, you know, the most beautiful thing on the way down is Oslager's farm when it's been raining. Uh, but to go into the Drakensberg, we spent three, three days in the Drakensberg, that was just, it's just unbelievable to, to see what God has done. Uh, I was privileged to go and listen to the Draken, Drakensberg boys choir. The purity of that sound, I, I was in tears from start to finish. I had to actually kind of hide myself because I was <laughs> embarrassing myself, sobbing. I couldn't take the absolute beauty of that, that sound that came out of those boys' mouths. It was just, it's just an, un, it's an experience unlike anything I've ever had before. And we, we did some other things around there, then went up to Nguenya Lodge, which is next door to the Crocodile Bridge, and spent some time looking at the Kruger National Park and going into the park and seeing just about everything we can see. Uh, it was just a, an amazing time. And then we spent two days in Clarence on the way back. Clarence is a quaint little place for women. My wife's broken foot was miraculously cured for at least eight hours while I got grumpier and grumpier as the day <laughs> proceeded, <laughs> but anyway, and then we came back. But what a blessing it was. Our neighbors uh, at Kaimouth, our neighbors across the road, took us up there and uh, shared their time share, whatever it is called, at this lodge. If you book in at this lodge for a night, it's going to cost you 25,000 rand a night. Cost us nothing. So that was just an absolute blessing from God. It was just like, wow. So it was really, really special, and we bless the Lord for that privilege. Anyway, like I said, I need a holiday. Any Davids in the church this morning? Okay, David hasn't arrived, but we're going to talk about David entering service anyway. Just to recap, Saul, Israel's first king chosen by God, do you remember? He started off well, uh, he started off humble, contrite, he was just so aware of his own humanity, and it didn't take long before he was puffed up in pride, before he had set up monuments in his own honor, and eventually disobeying God completely. A little bit of disobedience was enough for total disobedience, and the Lord spoke those words through Samuel that were so devastating, you know, that the Lord has rejected you as king. Last time we spoke, we find Samuel in mourning over this incident because he, he had high hopes for Saul and he was still mourning over the fact that uh, Saul had made these bad decisions. And God comes to, to Samuel and basically says, catch a wake up now, come on, I've got more work for you to do. And he sends him off to uh, Bethlehem to find Jesse and his sons. And you remember the story how Jesse brought seven sons, all of them could have become king, you know, they were all qualified and fine looking and all the rest of it. And Samuel says, no, have you not got any more boys? And he says, yes, there's one little shepherd guy. He's looking after the sheep. And uh, Samuel says, bring him in. 
and uh, Jesse brings David in, and the Bible records God saying to Samuel, this is him, rise and anoint him. This is your next king of Israel. And then the last verse we read in 1 Samuel 16, 13 was the following words. From that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now we're going to pick up the narrative today in 1 Samuel 16. And if you can, we're going to start at verse 14. This narrative happened sometime after um, David's anointing, but before David and Goliath. And God willing, we'll get to David and Goliath next week, maybe the week after next. Next week, I might have a responsibility to tell you why you should vote. I'm not going to tell you who you should vote for, but I probably will tell you who you should not vote for without naming any political parties. Let's just say that. So please come back next week. I think I need to do that to be responsible. And then the week after that, God willing, we'll look at David and Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 16, let's read the story now. 1 Samuel chapter 16, because I say story doesn't mean it's a fairy tale. It means it's a true biblical story of what actually happened. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. How terrible is that? What terrible words to read. The spirit of the Lord had departed, actually left Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. Quite amazing that even for these non-believers, <clears throat> there's an element in which music lifts the soul. <laughs> so even they recognized there's something special about music. Verse 17, so Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord, Yahweh, is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David. Now, Saul doesn't know that David is actually the legitimate king of Israel. Isn't this amazing? He sends for David, who's actually the God-anointed, God-ordained, God-chosen king of Israel. God has rejected Saul. It's going to be another 22 odd years before David eventually becomes king. He's this little boy still, 10 to 15 years old. He's a little guy, but it's just amazing to me that Saul invites him, brings him into the palace. So yes, David's ascension to the throne already in process, and Saul doesn't even know what's going on. <laughs> anyway. Verse 20, so Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers, one of his attendants. 
Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God, this evil Spirit from God, came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Lord, as we look at your reading this morning of your word, I thank you that you will give us clarity and wisdom as we unpack and unfold the truths contained herein. Thank you that you are the one that illumines this word to us and helps us to understand, and we rely upon you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're seeing David busy climbing his way to the throne. He doesn't really know what's going on. He's just been anointed, 10 years old. I mean, what does a 10-year-old boy know about becoming king of a nation? He does know that he can play the harp well. He does know that he's written lots of songs while he's been tending the sheep. And here he finds himself in King Saul's palace. Saul, on the other hand, is busy in a free fall. I mean, his life is just going to go from bad to worse. A painful descent into misery and eventual suicide. As I mentioned, almost 22 years it would take before David was finally recognized as as king over all the tribes of Israel. The point is just this. Without the Holy Spirit leading him, Saul was effectively on his own human mission. Without the Holy Spirit leading us, leading our nation, leading our leaders, leading us, we are at best on our own human wisdom, total fools flailing around doing what we don't know anything about what we're doing. So here we find Saul, unhappy, miserable, all the power, all the prestige, all the wealth the world had to offer but we find him miserable. Isn't that so often the case? If only I could have more money. If only my wife understood me better. If only my husband would fix those bulbs that I've been talking about every day for the last 13 years, my life would get better, you know. We look to things. Saul had it all. He was the king. His word counted all the wealth, all the power, all the prestige, but it counted for absolutely nothing. Now, it might be difficult for us to understand, going back to the text, this spirit, this evil spirit from God. But that's all we really left with, aren't we, without his presence? I mean, what have we got if we haven't got the presence of God, the one who indwells us, the one who comes to make his home in us the day that we are born again. What have we got? We've got absolutely nothing other than the presence of evil. I mean, we might have some human wisdom sustaining us to a point, but we know better than Saul, really. God in his sovereignty Don't understand it fully. But in his sovereignty, he allows this evil spirit to come and torment Saul. Some theologians have suggested that it's just a psychological state. 
You know, Saul had made bad choices in his life and now his sin was worrying him. But the text is specific. There were specific times when an evil spirit that God had specifically allowed or sent even was tormenting him. He began to experience bouts of depression, of anger, of jealousy, etc., obviously aggravated by this evil spirit. And his aides, who obviously have a bit of sense, say, find somebody who plays some music. That will calm you down. And so David comes in. Verse 23 again. Whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play, and relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Amazing. David's anointed, Holy Spirit-filled playing. Remember, the Bible said that the Spirit came upon David in power. So any time David ever did something, it was in the power of the Holy Spirit. David would pick up his harp and begin to play. I suspect he began to play those psalms, those songs that he had written when he was tending his father's sheep. And as he would worship God in this way, that tormenting spirit on Saul had to take a hike. When the chosen one of God began to worship, when the chosen one of God began to do his thing, things began to happen. Now this morning, I don't want to come and divine or uh, try to divide a line between praise and worship or anything like that. I'm going to be using the word praise uh, just as a sort of generic term so we can learn some lessons from this passage of what happens when we begin to praise. When we take whatever it is that we've got and begin to worship God, when we take our hearts as David would have taken his heart and began to exercise that that was within him, we're going to learn some lessons of what happens around us. Lesson number one, praise silences the enemy. Praise silences the enemy. The principle we see here of praise causing the enemy to flee is well established in Scripture, and we read it throughout. For example, in Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, Yahweh, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to do what? Silence the foe and the avenger. Isn't that what happened when David began to play? The avenger, the foe, the one that had come, whether it had come from God or not, was not the issue. It was on David and on Saul, and it had come from God. But the point is this, that he was silenced. That evil spirit was shut up and sent packing because David began to worship God. When our hearts are turned towards him in spirit and truth, in singing and in 
dance or in silence, in tithes and offerings or in any other and every form, biblical form of worship, the enemy simply has to leave. The enemy cannot coexist. He's got to go. Jesus said it like this, no man can serve two masters. You cannot about praising God and praising the devil. It cannot happen at the same time in your life. It's just impossible. It didn't even happen in the unbeliever Saul's life because of David doing what he did. It's quite possible, unfortunately, though, to be worshipping the enemy when we think we're worshipping God. I mean, some of the words that we sing and we're, we're busy working on some of these choruses, some of them we've had to chuck out. Some of the old hymns are just like, you know, where does that come? On a green hill far away. I mean, where do you find a green hill in Israel? You know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So a lot of our singing, we might think that we are doing the stuff but we're not worshiping in truth, maybe in spirit, in emotion, yes, 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 but far from truth. Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Spoken lots about this in the past. And it's easy to worship in spirit. Every religion in the world worships in spirit. But Jesus' call to us, firm call to us, is to worship in spirit and in truth. When we do that, that's when we see praise silencing the enemy. We carry on God is spirit, verse 24, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Friends, every single time we turn to him in spirit and truth, we do silence the enemy. Try it out. When you keep praising the problems, what happens to the problems? They just get bigger. How much time don't we spend praising the problems? Oh, have you seen how dirty our town is? Oh, have you seen how corrupt the politicians are? Oh, have you seen how bad that business person is? And so we go, keep praising the problems and the problems just get bigger. That's the fact, isn't it? But start praising God in your life, in spirit and in truth, and see what happens. I love that chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What happens? The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. When we turn our hearts towards God in whatever form it is, you don't have to learn to play the harp and sing. Whatever form of worship, when you take your heart and turn it towards God, praise silences the enemy and causes the devil to leave. Which brings me to our next lesson. Praise actually provides hope for the world. Our praise provides hope for the world. This is a, a mystery. It's a wonder that the power of our praise actually extends to those around us. It's clear here that the evil spirit is dealt with by David, not by Saul. Saul couldn't do anything to that evil spirit on him. But David, as David, the anointed one of God, began to praise God. What happened? Those around him were splashed. 
Those around him were affected. Saul was given hope to carry on again. His torment came to an end. And when did that happen? When the godly man began to praise the Lord. David's praising caused the devil to leave. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. You ever feel like you're down and out and you're going nowhere? You ever feel like your life has come to an end? You ever feel like you don't want to carry on because there's nothing to carry on for? I want to tell you, if you're a believer, the Bible says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. We are not sloping behind God, barely trying to keep keep up with what's going on. We are behind him, seated on that chariot or standing alongside him on that chariot, being led in triumphal procession in Christ. And then unlike me on Friday when I waved at the taxi drive, that wasn't God, that was me. The Bible says about me, through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Isn't that amazing? Through us? Okay, let's keep reading. For we are to God the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We are the aroma of Christ among those who have been saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. Friends, whether you like it or not, your presence is actually keeping a sense of normality on this planet. If it wasn't for believers on this this planet would have been wrecked, ruined a long time ago. And I don't know where you stand in where the rap, when the rapture happens before, during, or after, or anything else. But I'm telling you this. If you, if you believe the rapture happens and then there's a tribulation and all the rest of it, that tribulation, I understand what a terrible tribulation it will be when there's no believer providing normality to the, to the planet. Like David provided some level of normality to the life of Saul. Saul, the one who had been rejected by God. Saul, the one who was no longer king of Israel. Saul, who had chosen to walk in disobedience and pride rather than in humble submission to God. When David began to praise, Saul's life became a little bit normal. I wonder how many times we've missed opportunities. I do it often. How many times we miss opportunities to praise God, the beauty of those mountains, the wonder of nature, the incredible makeup of a human being or whatever it is. When we begin to give God the glory that is actually his, we are going to see a greater sense of normality in our society. Instead of praising the problem, praising God. Matthew 5 says, salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. Can you see the, the, the comparisons here? You are the salt. Now, how are we salt? Well, we begin to praise God. We begin to tell people this isn't just some evolutionary chance, evolutionary thing that happened. This is the wonder of our creator God who made it all. As we do that, we're turning our hearts to God. We're praising God as we do that. Society either hates us because we become the stench of death or we become an aroma, a pleasant aroma to those who are being saved. Eish. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. We sang it this morning. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, you heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun, moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail and snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. Where does the rain come from? Where does the storm come from? Where did the lightning come from? Imagine if every time anything ever happened in our lives, began to praise the Lord. Things would be different in our society. You mountains, you hills, you fruit trees, all cedars, wild animals, all cattle, small creatures, flying birds. Kings of the earth, nations, princes, rulers, young men, maidens, old men, children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. As we lift him higher, the enemy is sent packing and people will be drawn to him, either in their furious anger or humble penitence. I often wonder how thick people are, how stupid people are to not be able to see that the Bible is true, to not be able to recognize that Jesus is who he said he is. Because if you mention the Bible or you mention Jesus, what happens? The world erupts. You can talk as much as you like about Satan. You can talk as much as you like about anything. But mention what the Bible says and everyone gets upset, most people. I mean, if that isn't proof alone that it's true, that it's powerful, that Jesus is who he says he is, I don't know what proof is. Raise him up, praise him, and see how people are drawn to him. Lesson number three, and I'm running out of time. Praise is not bound to circumstances. David, though already been anointed as king, he finds himself a servant in, the, in Saul's court. He, it seems he only gets called in when the evil spirit is on Saul. He's not there in pleasant circumstances. He gets called when there's a war to be fought. So David didn't just praise God, according to this part of the text, when he was in a good mood, when things were going fine, when everything was hunky-dory. He's a young boy. 
He's been ripped out of his father's house. Uh, and he's now got to serve the king. And every time the king has an evil spirit come on him, he's got to go in there and fight battle. And this isn't nice circumstances. Praise is not bound to circumstances. We, it's not restricted by anything around us. We praise when we're happy. We praise when we're sad. We praise when we're broke. We praise when we're in overflow. And we praise every other time in between. It's not about circumstances. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always, and then in case you didn't get it, the Apostle Paul writes again, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? The Lord is near. Once again, my gentleness was not evident to all when that taxi came up behind me. Ish. Rose says to me at the end of this, because now Rose is quite upset in the car. By the way, she's looking after my grandson. My daughter's not well. Uh, so she went down this morning. Um, so Rose says to me, what happens if that taxi driver comes to church on Sunday? What is it about you blooming woman? Just leave us alone. You know, when we're grumpy, it's not a good time to preach to us. <laughs> Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Well, yeah. 1 Thessalonians 5, be joyful how often? Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks in all circumstances. Friends, praise is not bound by circumstance. I love this passage in Mark chapter 12. Unfortunately, this passage is used by the thieves in the, in the, in the, in, in the church to try get every single cent out of your pocket. They use this passage often to prove that, you know, you've got to give your last cent to this guy to buy his new $165 billion plane or whatever it is. But that's not the context of this passage. The context of this passage to me is about a woman who gave her heart. It's not about the amounts and things like that. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came, putting two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling the disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She gave herself. She gave herself. Praise is not bound, friends, by circumstances. It's not about the how much. It's about the heart condition. Am I worshiping him in spirit and in truth? Has he got my whole heart or just bits of my heart? Don't make the mistake of saying, God, I'll praise you when I'm wealthy. God, I'll praise you when I do this. God, I'll tithe when I can afford to. God, I'll do this. God. Don't just don't dump all of that. Just get to your heart. What is my heart saying? Last lesson this morning. Praise is heaven's language spoken by people. Don't get confused with this one. It's not the speaking in tongues that people would like to advocate is heaven's language. 
This is heaven's language, Revelation chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. You thought COVID was bad. Wait, it hasn't started yet. <laughs> and I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his, and over the number of his name. Look at this now. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Something unique about singing. Something unique about music. It's God's language. And it doesn't even have to be vocal. I can't sing. It's what takes place inside this heart of yours, this, this gushing out of who you are into who he is. Look what they sing, great and marvelous. Just praise, 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 praise. Not, oh, Lord, give me something to pay my debts. Oh, Lord, please help me to forgive Auntie Susie. Lord, do this for me. Lord, do that. It's not that. It's just all about him. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That's the language of heaven. Another passage in Matthew 26 that I thought how significant it was. At the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, broke, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples, take and eat, this is my body, took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'll not drink of this fruit again uh, from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So this is the Last Supper. This is like, what the Last Supper? This was the big occasion. And what did they do immediately after that? When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Isn't that significant to you? When they had sung a hymn, I mean, Jesus has just done his thing, you know? This is the new covenant. And how do they seal that? By the singing of a hymn. By the glorifying. Glorifying of God would have been one of the psalms that they sung. Singing praise to God. It's the language of heaven. Psalm 146, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Deuteronomy 32, 1, listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of Yahweh. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Never underestimate that, that heavenly language of praise. Speak it. Paul says to the Ephesians, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
What do we do? We speak to each other about the weather that's gone so bad. Or the politicians. Oh, politicians never dis- don't just settle this thing once. Now, politicians will never disappoint you. They do exactly what they all do anyway. They just they do it. No matter what they tell you, they're going to do the opposite at some point. Instead, we should be speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing, make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart towards God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And to tell you that the enemy works very hard to corrupt the music in the church today. Some of the biggest suppliers of Christian music, uh, you have a look at those people who wrote the music and those people who are still leading their teams. There are divorces, there's adultery, there's uh, cheating, a financial mismanagement. Some of the biggest names in Christendom today where a lot of this music comes out, you understand how subtle the enemy is. He wants to destroy the pure language of heaven, which which if not is based upon the word of God, we're in trouble. This is not about me feeling better. It's not about me feeling better. Me, myself, I, as I sing to God, and I feel better. Did you hear that worship team today? They were incredible. You know, the lights and the musics and the sound and the smoke and the this and the that. The enemy works very, very hard to corrupt and destroy and pollute, even if it's just a little bit in that stew, till eventually you're believing what we're singing, and very often it's a lot of hogwash. We need to be speaking heaven's language based upon the word of God. Let me summarize very quickly for you. Firstly, silence, praise silences the enemy. Come on, let's praise the enemy. Let's praise God. Let's see him silence the enemy. What is it in your life today that you need the enemy to shut up? When I was still flying, or in fact, when I was doing my initial training flying, I used to be a bit nervous with the turbulence because, you know, you don't know if the thing going to fall out the sky or what's going on. And I'll never forget my instructor telling me, turbulence is like a barking dog. It's just wah, 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 wah. On the other side of the fence, it can't harm you. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's just a roaring lion. Silence him. Use David's method here. Silence him by praising God. Recognizing as you do that, you're actually providing hope for those around you. This blessing that's on your life splashes to everybody else around you when you begin to praise him. Not being bound by your circumstances, but speaking that heavenly language. Amen.